Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichten-Walter. Today we're going to be starting a new book. We'll be reading the introduction, chapter one of Preexistence, pages one through four. We'll start off with the reader portion of the program, which is about seven minutes long. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Here we go. Introduction, Chapter 1 of Pre-Existence. Pages 1-4, all men, male and female, that ever have lived, or that ever will live on this earth, had a pre-existence before the formation of the earth commenced. And during our pre-existence in the heavens, the earth was undergoing this formation. In Dashus and Parach 16, 318, 1985 preface, the doctrine of pre-existence, or pre-mortal life is generally not believed in by most of the modern Christian churches that have been spawned in our generation. Yet, most of the world's population believe in some form of pre-existence. Not until the restoration of the Gospel of Jesus Christ through the Prophet Joseph Smith did a clear and important part of this doctrine become understood. It is clearly taught in the Bible, yet most of our modern ministers have overlooked it. It is so important to our understanding of the gospel that it would be like trying to fly a plane with only some of the parts. Contained in this compilation are many of the quotations of men who clarified various aspects of the doctrine of pre-existence. Not all the available quotations are included, neither is the entire sermon from which these quotes are taken. The information is arranged according to subject matter, and since they tell a fairly complete story themselves, the author has made only preliminary statements preceding each chapter, and added an introduction and conclusion to the entire publication. Much of the material used is taken from Erson Pratt, who spoke and wrote more on that subject than any other person in church history and Ash even much more than was said by President Brigham Young. Among others commenting on this important subject were Joseph Smith, John Taylor, Parley P. Pratt, George Q. Cannon, and Joseph Fielding Smith. The most extensive work was written by Erson Pratt in his book The Seer, under the title of Pre-Existence. Extensive excerpts of that work are included in Chapter 2 of this book, Scriptural Review. 
this compilation is the first of a three-volume set, The Three Existence, Paradise, and The Resurrection. Hopefully they will give the reader a more complete understanding of the plan of salvation. Chapter 1 Introduction God said that he was no respecter of persons. However, one quick look at the condition of mankind shows they are very unequally born in this world. Some of God's children are born fat or skinny, while others are blessed with very well-proportioned bodies. Some are ugly or deformed, but others are handsome and beautiful. Several come to this world in sickness, suffering blindness, deafness, or insanity, while others enjoy full faculties of their mind and body. Part of God's children are born into wealth and prosperity, while others never have a luxury or even a taste of riches. Some are born with the intellect of a genius, are gifted in music, science, art, etc. But another portion never learn to even read or write. Geographically speaking, some enjoy the best of climate, resources and circumstances, while others endure life in torrid jungles, deserts or the frigid cold. Whoever said that all men are created equal certainly was ignoring conditions existing outside his own circle of family and friends. True, men are equally endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, but he did not bring them into this world in an equal physical condition. But then, he never said he would. In fact, the scriptures prove he has said the opposite. They explain that we are his children and he is our father and dash that we were born spiritually before we were born physically. Yet the Christian world as a whole understand little about this spiritual pre-existence. If we had no pre-mortal existence, and God is a just and fair God, why did he put us down here in such unequal, unfair and unjust circumstances? Jesus said, what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things? How can we explain some getting bread and fish, while others get serpents or stones? If man had no pre-mortal existence, then what is the reason for the unequal and unfair condition of mortals on earth? If there is no pre-existence, then God is much more unfair, unjust and biased with his children than they are towards each other. It is said that we came into this world's conditions according to our previous commitment, worthiness and foreordination. We are where we are by what we did in the pre-existence and ash and we are going to a heavenly condition based on what we do here. Pre-existence is not only logical and reasonable, it is scriptural and predicated upon an all-wise and divine plan. The pre-existence and dash and we are going to a heavenly condition based on what we do here. Pre-existence is not only logical and reasonable, it is scriptural and predicated upon an all-wise and divine plan. 
It is one of the most beautiful doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. The reading's not going to be that long today, but I think we'll probably be getting into how to qualify for the Celestial Kingdom today. And that'll be read by my wife and my son, Emmett, who is 16 years old. And then my daughters would like to read some stuff, too. So I guess this is going to be a family affair. And anyway, I don't know what they'll read, but I am totally in support of them doing that. Um, my friend, Brother Erickson, I was talking to him the other day, so we went to Passover at his house up in Lehigh <clears throat> with the Zarahemla Foundation. And uh, it was nice. Uh, we slept the night at their house and our kids love playing with their kids so and we like talking to them like it's great anyway so um, I was talking to uh, my friend Joshua and he says I told him sometimes I feel like I'm opening up the closet or maybe well I didn't say this but opening up the basement door and just yelling into the basement doing this radio show and nobody hears me but I, I do know that there's listeners and I'm thankful for those listeners um, but he said well even if nobody else listens at least your family is listening and just my wife and I as we do these things and we talk about these things um, you know, we're learning, and she's learning, and my son Emmett is learning, and my children listen to these things, and they're learning, and I think it's awesome that they want to participate in this thing that I have been doing for all of these years. So, anyway, I just thought, well, maybe that's a good reason to keep going, even though sometimes I feel like I am just opening up the door in the basement and nobody is listening. Um, my goal is to teach and to testify of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and my Father as well. And um, Heavenly Father asked me to do these, these teachings back in 2014 um, and I started my first podcast in January of 2014, shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori said that the Messiah Ben Joseph would use social media to teach his message, and that he would come on the scene shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon. Now, the Christians flipped out, and they said, oh, Jesus is coming back. And I don't know why they always think Jesus is coming back right tomorrow, because, like, there's a lot of things that have to happen before he comes back. Even now, there's still a lot of things that have to happen before he comes back. 
but we're going to probably be seeing that hopefully in the next 20 years, if not sooner. But, you know, things will play out on God's timetable. And he told us, you know, he didn't he didn't even know when he was coming back. Only his father knew when he was coming back. So, you know, so hopefully I'll have another 20 years of podcasting ahead of me and I'll learn and you'll learn and we'll all learn together. And uh, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I know that the world is getting pretty bad, but the world's always been bad. So, you know, we just have to endure and try to seek to have a personal relationship with our Father and our Savior. So anyway, I'm I'm going to read this now. Uh, Introduction, Chapter 1 of Preexistence, pages 1 through 4. All men, male and female, that have ever lived or that ever will live on this earth had a preexistence before the formation of the earth uh, commenced. And during our preexistence in the heavens, the earth was undergoing this formation. Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, page 318. So this book was written by Ogden Kraut in 1985, and this is the preface. The doctrine of pre-existence or pre-mortal life is generally not believed in by most of the modern Christian churches that have been spawned in our generation. Yet most of the world's population believe in some form of pre-existence. Not until the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the prophet Joseph Smith did a clear and important part of this doctrine become understood. It is clearly taught in the Bible, yet most of our modern ministers have overlooked it. It is so important to our understanding of the gospel that it would be like trying to fly a plane with only some of the parts. Contained in this uh, compilation are many of the quotations of men who clarified various aspects of the doctrine of pre-existence. Not all are available quotations. Not all the the available quotations are included. Neither is the entire sermon from which these quotes are taken. The information is arranged according to subject matter, and since they tell a fairly complete story themselves, the author has made only preliminary statements preceding each chapter, and it did and added an introduction and conclusion to the entire publication. Much of the material used is taken from Orson Pratt, who spoke and wrote more on the subject than any other person in church history, even much more than was said by President Brigham Young. Among others commenting on this important subject were Joseph Smith, John Taylor, Parley P. Pratt, George Q. Cannon, Joseph Fielding Smith, and Joseph Fielding Smith. The most extensive work was written by Orson Pratt in this book, in his book called The Seer, under the title of Preexistence. Extensive excerpts of that work are included in Chapter 2 of this book, 
scriptural review, and we'll get into that tomorrow, which will be Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. This compilation is the first of a three-volume set, Pre-Existence, Paradise, and the Resurrection, and we're going to be going over them in that order. So the next three books we'll be reading is this book, Pre-Existence, Paradise, and the Resurrection. Hopefully they will give the reader a more complete understanding of the plan of salvation. Chapter 1, page 3, Introduction. God said that he has that he was no respecter of persons. However, one quick look at the condition of mankind shows that they are very unequally born in this world. Some of God's children are born fat or skinny, while others are blessed with very well-proportioned bodies. Some are ugly or deformed, but others are handsome and beautiful. Several come to this world in sickness, suffering, blindness, death, or insanity, while others enjoy full faculties of their minds and bodies. Part of God's children are born into wealth and prosperity, while others never had a luxury or even a taste of riches. Some are born with the intellect, intellect of a genius, or are gifted in music, science, arts, etc. But another portion never learned to even read or write. Geographically speaking, some enjoy the best climate, resources, and circumstances. The best of climate, resources, and circumstances. While others endure lives in torrid jungles, deserts, or frigid cold. Whoever said that all men are created equal certainly was ignoring conditions existing outside of his own circle of friends and family. True men are equally endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, but he did not bring them into this world as an equal physical condition. But then he never said he would. In fact, the scriptures prove he has said the opposite. They explain that we are his children and he is our father, that we were that we were born spiritually before we were born physically. Yet the Christian world as a whole understands little about this spiritual preexistence. Page four. If we had no premortal existence and God is a just and fair God, why did he put us down here in such an unequal, unfair, and unjust circumstances? Jesus said, What man is there of you, whom, if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to you? Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. 
How can we explain some getting bread and fish while others get stones or serpents and stones? If man had no pre-mortal existence, then what is the reason for the unequal and unfair condition of mortals on earth? If there is no pre-existence, then God is much more unfair, unjust, and biased with his children than they are towards each other. It is said that we came into this world's conditions according to our previous commitment, worthiness, and foreordination. We are where we are. We are by what we did in the pre-existence, and we are going to a heavenly condition based on what we do here. So, my own commentary. So, this earth is a pre-existence for another earth, and our pre-existent earth is where we lived before we came to this world. And um, Joseph Smith taught these things in partly in the King Fullet discourse, but partly at the uh, in the lecture at the Grove. And uh, if you're interested, you can type in Lecture at the Grove and find several talks about it. And I have posted my own uh, stuff on the Lecture at the Grove. And like I said, it talks about these things, multiple mortal probations and all of these type of things. Anyway, pre-existence is not only logical and reasonable, it is scriptural and pre predicated upon an all-wise and divine plan. It's one of the most beautiful doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that is the end of the introduction, and since I only do one chapter a day, no matter how long or how short, that is the end of the chapter. And I will be coming back on tomorrow to do chapter 2. So if we have any guest callers, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And we'll just be done with this then. So we'll be back on tomorrow with more. Let's see if there's anybody in the studio or the chat room. And then we'll see if we can get my wife to read how to qualify for the celestial kingdom today again. So uh, we'll just go to that point. Thank you for listening. And there is nobody in the chat room or in the studio. So uh, tomorrow's uh, program is going to be long. Yeah, I was looking at it on here, what you posted. It's like an hour and a couple minutes, I think. Wow. Uh, just for the reader program. And uh, I had to actually speed it up from the normal uh, speed of the reader program to make that fit because I can only do, well, I can do clips that are 100 megabytes, or I think that's what it is. Anyway, that's about an hour, maybe an hour and 10 minutes. And I was like, uh, it doesn't sound bad. It's It's a little faster than normal, but it's not like way fast. So. Anyway, uh, that'll be from 6 p.m. 
to 7 p.m. tomorrow, and then we'll get into the reading and commentary from 7 until 8. We might even have to go into overdrive tomorrow just to make that work so that we can get it all, you know, one chapter per episode. You know, um, did, did you see how many pages it was, Kim? So like no, I was scrolling down and it would seem like it was taking forever. Yeah, I think it's pages 5 to 31, so 26 pages, which Kim is an expert at reading that kind of stuff. I, on the other hand, it would take me four hours complete with all my side topics, commentary. things that I talk about, commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, so Kim will probably be reading tomorrow. Now, we actually... Um, Oh, I got a lot of stuff to do tomorrow. I got to go down to the title office and take care of some paperwork. And then I've got a, I've got my son home and he's sick and my other son is going to be sick. So maybe they can be sick together and watch Mickey Mouse all day long. <laughs> anyway, um, did you, uh, want to read in uh, how to qualify for the celestial kingdom today yeah i was just getting that all set up um i'm sitting in here but um so lydia just decided to finally vacuum like she was asked but of course she's doing it right now okay can you tell she can't be doing that right now that's ridiculous i know why would she do that is she mental um yeah but she um she didn't want to um do it before, so I okay. You don't she know this yet, but let me tell you. When it was all muted, yeah, and nobody was listening to what everything that was happening in the house. Tell her to turn it off now. Turn it off. Dad says it's too loud. Um, so this is what happened. Sure, so she's today. All this time. Anyway, okay. Yes, I know she didn't do the dishes or anything either. She's upset. Anyway, so we um, the school that I work at. Um, gave us all iPads today. So I was like, ooh, this is very exciting for me. So a lot of people... Is it a full-size iPad or like one of the yes, kind it of is, iPads? It is. No, it's like a full-size a, iPad. Don't touch. Is it our friend Eric's uh, size iPad or is it a normal one? It, have you seen Eric's And it says iPad? it's a newer, nice one. I have. It's pretty big. So it is... It's ridiculous. It's, uh, I'm like, I don't it's even... It's big. Yeah. So big. <laughs> like, it's oh in my perfect gosh, this condition. It almost be a side table if you put legs yeah. on it. <laughs> so I'm excited about it. Um, we just found out this morning. Um, uh, so our my boss got onto the intercom and announced that the tech department um, was here and um, that they had brought us all new iPads because um, we had consistently been kind of upset and complaining a little bit because of all of the expectations we have as teachers. Um, And a lot of times technology works against us. And one thing that you don't have time or that you don't have is actually time in a classroom. You don't have time to do all of the things that's required of you that you need to do. And so a lot of times when we're trying to do testing, um, it's called a progress monitor. When we're progress monitoring, it takes so long to get it out. We only get a couple of kids progress monitored, you know, maybe six kids um, at any given time. And so um, 
we are always like, oh, because it takes forever. We get the Chromebooks out, and then, you know, we have to log in and do all this stuff. Well, the, the iPads are actually fast. They're really quick. And to do the specific types of monitoring that we do, um, the Chromebooks, they're so much easier to do it on. It, it's just easy. The other thing is a touch screen also, but I don't even know. I can't even explain how easy it is to do. I progress monitored almost my entire class so quickly today and usually we only get a couple done a couple days a week you know like we get you know maybe half the class done a week so anyways it was really exciting um for us and when she made the announcement like she got on there and she told us what they had done um we were all like woohoo like it was so funny and you could hear everybody down the hallways going woohoo because <laughs> we we're all getting ready for end of year testing and so there was like a wave of like these cheers and even the students were like, yay, it was so funny. Um, and then when I was so right, school. Yeah. And since I'm um, where like closer, I got mine right in the morning. So sure. I got um, it right away. And one of my students was like, where's mine? And I was like, oh, honey, she didn't say all the students were getting their own iPad. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was for the teachers, so he was disappointed. But they have tablets. Uh huh. They have their own Chromebooks. So just for the listening audience's information, my wife is the closest classroom to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> That's because yep, she yep. likes her the most. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be monitored. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I was super excited. Anyway, so that being said, um, the kids, my kids, my own kids, all want to use the iPad. And they were trying to, like, set it up and, you know, to do the things. And, um, yeah, I know. And so they were like, I just want to play a game. I just want to do this. So, um, yeah, Lydia's been trying to set up a game that she wanted to play on it, and I asked her, you know, to do certain things, but, of course, she dragged her feet, didn't want to do it. She's been whining about it and didn't want to do anything. And that's why the vacuum was running right when I had to talk because it was just a huge argument to get her to do anything. Oh, anyway, sorry, there he is. He doesn't feel good, so now he's rubbing all over my mic. Yeah. Like, she waits all the way up until uh, you start talking to turn the vacuum cleaner on when she knows it's a live radio program, and every time I'm recording, yeah. I tell them all to be quiet and to stop with mm-hmm. all their noise. Anyway. Yep. 13-year-old defiance yep. problems. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well. Oh, but well, we knew she have... this way ever since she was a young three-year-old. Yep. <laughs> yes. So I do have um, the book here with me. I'm trying to like move this. But Kim, I mean, like Amberly's rubbing it. She's petting. How come out? I don't know what you're saying because it all of a sudden cut out, and it oh. doesn't even sound like your headset it's, is connected. It's, Are you well, using it? Is. It's because Amberly's doesn't feel good, and so he just decided to come lay on me, and I am on my headset. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, sorry, he uh, doesn't feel good, Emmett so he's laying on my headset. Monitor. Is Emmett monitoring? Yeah, Emmett, how come you're not monitoring? 
Uh, he was still trying to finish dinner. So he didn't do anything okay. also, right? Nobody does anything if nobody is sitting here making them do it. Like, so. I, I was up when they got home. And they went into the kitchen right away and started doing the things. And Emma was cooking stuff. And Emma was cooking stuff when I left. You know, so I just assumed he was cooking. And I asked him, are you cooking what mom asked you to cook for dinner tonight? Yeah, I'm doing it. So if he wasn't, that's weird. Why would he say he was doing it when he wasn't, you know? Why did you say you were cooking dinner if you weren't cooking dinner? Okay. Okay, but we were just wondering because it shouldn't take an hour and a half to cook enchiladas or at least to prepare them for them to go into the oven. So that's what the curious was. And what was he cooking to Olivia. the whole time? Like he was cooking when I left. What were you cooking the whole time? Oh, he made you burritos. That was different when you were going to work. That's I what know, he said. but he was cooking when I left, and I had the burritos when I left. So why was he? You were cooking, cooking something else. You were cooking when. I thought he was cooking the okay, hamburger meat. Okay, so he cooked hamburger. And then he just left it in a bowl and decided that he wasn't doing anything else when you left. So then when I came, it's the whole thing of oh, they okay. don't do it consistently. So I had to be yeah, here. If you're not, like, right over them, they will not do anything except for play on their phones. Well, Emmett's the only one don't that has that a over. phone because he's 16. Anyway, all right. Well, this stuff doesn't matter for the radio program. So, no, it um, doesn't. Uh, I guess, is Olivia going to be reading the scriptures when they come up, or since Emma has to finish um, doing Olivia? what he should have been doing all along? Let me find out. This Olivia? Is, for the listening audience, this is why uh, my wife has a problem in the morning, because the kids have to do certain Amberly things. Amberly needs that to go and away and put up feet. higher than she can reach, because she's not helping right now. But you need they to, Dad would like to know, are you going to read the scriptures for me? I'm trying to find out from Lydia. You can talk. I will mute myself. I can talk, but, like, uh, you're talking, and I'm not going to talk over you. Anyway, so um, our kids, like, have to get certain things done, and if they don't get done at night, then they drag their feet even worse in the morning, and... Uh, you know, it's just a big hassle every morning to get them ready to go, you know. And so we we were trying to let them sleep until 6 in the morning, but uh, we started having to wake them up earlier because they won't do what they're supposed to do. So then they complain about why we wake them up earlier because we're going to give you more time to do it. Anyway, I'm in Cat Canyon right now. So I don't know okay, if we're going up or not. All right, so let's start okay. reading in How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom today by James C. Cox. We're going to actually finish off the last chapter, which was um, chapter 10, and it was section 4. Um, of that chapter. It just says perceptions that affect my spiritual growth. So um, the last time when we were on and we were talking about how to qualify for the celestial kingdom, we discussed um, different steps 
There were a lot of them. I know there were steps all the way up to seven um, talking about our assignment and how we were trying to um, try to um, obey all of the cameras. It's hard to say. It's hard to say yeah, exactly, well, but like to basically, it's yeah, it was like, like to, to be able to keep all the commandments. Something yes. to work on. Right. You know, and so in order to do that, we tried to like, yeah, because it gets so overwhelming, then you're like, I can't do everything. But it's a slow process of um, just doing better than you did yesterday. So um, we were looking at the, the funny um, <laughs> schedule where you sleep a whole eight hours, you work eight hours, you eat and dress for two hours, you only get two hours of interruptions for the entire day, yeah, which is like, funny. We're like <laughs> laughing at that, like, oh my gosh, I wish I had eight hours to sleep. That would be awesome. I know. How do they get I know, it'd be awesome. That? My body doesn't even sleep that long. Work? It can't. It wakes up <laughs> i know neither can i i sleep like five or six hours a day and then i wake up even before the alarm clock goes off most of the time even when i'm tired yep that's stupid yeah but so what it was saying was just you know the purpose of the commandments is to help you grow spiritually but you can feel yep. the holy ghost daily all the time and you can feel more spiritually alive and in tune with heavenly father and so in order to do that, it, you know, they wanted you to go ahead and pick one and then follow the six or the seven steps. If you want to listen back on the previous episodes, you'll be able to find um, me where you hear my voice mostly because I'm the one who's been reading it. So when you hear that on the radio show, you'll be able to go back in and listen. I and will let, I'm going Thursday. to, yep, I'm going to update everybody. I, one of the things that I decided to work on, and I think I had mentioned it on the show even, was that I needed to work on my time. Um, just my time is so valuable and I just needed to be more on time, more punctual, um, with what I was doing. And so I've been trying to do that so far. I have been doing really well. I think, um, Mark, do you agree? I don't know. I've been trying to be punctual. I am here doing the radio show earlier than normal. I've been trying to get back to the house sooner to work sooner, you know, so that I can, um, be, you know, try to squeeze out a few more minutes in every area, I guess. Yeah, well, um, there's a problem, like, sometimes, like, tomorrow we're going to have to go to the title company and sign our closing paperwork, and then we've got to go to the store uh, to get some things, you know. And, like, yeah. I recorded the reader program, uh, portion of the program today, but I wasn't able to read anything today. And tomorrow I'm not going to be able to do it either, so uh, yeah. Tim will be reading tomorrow, and we will not be reading How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom today, tomorrow, because yeah. the chapter that we're going to be reading is 26 pages long. So yeah, that's going to be crazy. It's a, a long chapter, but Kim is fully capable of, of reading that. And uh, it'll be a good a good review for uh, you know why we believe in the preexistence. Yeah. Um. So the other question is, um, for this today, Olivia'd like to know how is she going to read it. Um. So did, we'll just grab Arius's. I mean Arius. We'll just grab Emmett's phone, I suppose, and put her on that, because if not, she can. She can speaker phone my phone like switch it from my headset to speakerphone. No. But then it's going to be really loud. Like, or, you know, the, the volume will change. Emma has a headset. She can just mute and unmute Emma's phone, and she can read on that. 
Yeah. Okay, so let's do Emmett's phone, okay? So I'm going to continue to read. Um, she's going to go grab her headphones really quick, and then she's going to hook up hers to that so that she can read. Okay. All right, so I think we've got it all handled and figured out. But anyway, so I was just saying um, I'm working on that. Still not perfect at it, but I am trying, um, and I'm trying to um, do, you know, more scripture study. Um, we've talked about going back and reading DNC um, a little bit. I don't know if that is something that we're going to be able to squeeze in next, um, but I think that's what we're going to try to do, right, Mark? That's what we were talking about. Yeah. But when we finish this book, that's probably what we're going to be reading is Doctrine and Covenants together. Yeah. So um, we're going to try to squeeze in some more scripture study, um, which will also help out with my um, goal in trying to do this all, you know, better with time management and such. So I hope that everybody who is listening and following along, um, that you are doing a good job and you're trying your best. I know it's hard. So um, I just want to encourage everybody to take that little bit of a leap. And it's a hard process at first, but um, we can do all these things. You know, we can do hard things. Um, and for, with the Lord's help, we can do all things. So um, that was just my little update on that. So let me go ahead and, re and finish the end of this chapter um, with the section four, perceptions that affect my spiritual growth. This, I know, is going to be a good one for me. During my Tell years Olivia as an ecclesiastic... Hold on, hold on. Okay. Tell Olivia to mute her phone, and I will unmute her on the studio. Okay, Lydia, if you mute your phone, then he can unmute you on the studio. Yes, you unmute. No, you mute. He's going to unmute you. You'll be able to hear. Okay. Okay, her you line can, is you unmuted. Can talk yep. Yeah, so anytime she yep. wants to talk, then she unmutes her phone. Anytime she's done talking, she needs to mute her phone. She needs to understand yep. that if she's going to be on the phone. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. go ahead. Okay. I think we are. Yes, go go to Emma Arias. Okay. During my years as an ecclesiastical officer, it became obvious to me that many members of the church were struggling spiritually. Some were struggling in their marital relations, some with their sense of self-worth to the point of feeling incapable of handling church and family responsibilities. Some were feeling that the church was a burden, not a blessing. After attending a church meeting, these members would feel discouraged rather than spiritually uplifted. They knew the church was true, but doubted their chance of, ev if, or, sorry, of ever qualifying. Um, for the celestial kingdom. After reviewing the long list of things to do in order to become exalted, a few members even wondered why they should try anymore. Contrast the above concerns with the scriptures, which indicate a different feeling for one who lives the gospel. In Second Nephi chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Go ahead, Olivia. It says, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Is that correct? Okay. All right. Sorry, we're, she has some looked up, but they have the quote in here, and I wanted to make sure it had the full quote. So she said it does. 
Thanks for looking out, Liddy. Okay, and in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, um, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And also, John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And when she has those pulled up, I'm going to have her read those in the entirety because I don't feel like that was all of the 28 okay. and 30. Let's, uh, okay, so Olivia, um, if you, uh, on the side of the headset that you're using, you're using the headset with the boom, right? No, she has her she is. ear pods. Okay, well, if she uses the headset with the boom that I got for that phone, she can mute and unmute herself on the headset itself, and then she can um, keep her her phone unmuted. That way she can be on the scripture app and looking up the next scripture easier and not having to go back and forth between the phone, uh, the phone uh, you know, the mute button and the, uh, the scripture app. She can just stay on the scripture app, mute and unmute herself on the top button on the earpiece. That's a really good tip. She's actually using the scripture app on my phone because I'm using my headset. Oh. I'm to okay. Sounds but great. she understands All what right. you're saying, and that's a really good idea. But so, but if she wasn't using my phone, then yes. Okay. All right. I'll be myself. Okay. Okay. Good. Good idea, Dad. Okay. Um, Olivia, I actually would like you. Did you find it? Um, it's okay. I actually want you to unmute your mic for just a minute so that I can hear your audio because I don't know what it is. So just stand by for one second. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Hello? Yeah, I can also hear all the feedback from everybody else. I can't hear you now. She has to speak up because I really need her to use the the headset that I bought for that phone. Because it has a noise-canceling mic, and the mic is yeah, better you need the than other the one, one she has on her earbuds or That's what I was checking, just use. in case, because that, that thought just occurred to me. Like, I like her. She likes her headset, too. But then I was like, wait a minute. I don't exactly know the audio on those things. So, okay, she's going to fix and, and do that. Yeah, I know. It yeah. really isn't. Okay. Um, but she doesn't have one of our kinds of things yet. But she does. She has the one that Emmett, or the one with the boom on it, the Bluetooth parrot headset. Yep, he's got, she's got it right now. Eliza's coming over here. Can you just give me that? Okay. Awesome. And tell everybody else they need to be quiet. Okay. Everybody else needs to sit and listen. Yay, we're going to learn patience and being calm. Good idea. Okay. Now, um, also, so I gave this to Olivia <laughs> and I didn't know that she didn't know how to use this app so now I have to teach her how to use it while we're doing this okay so Liddy she's like hold on all right so this is what you do so you just start here from where it is so Matthew is in this Okay, well, if you don't know, that's okay. You can ask if it's the Old or the New Testament. Dad, Dad will answer right away. I'm a little bit slower. But 
So it'll be here, and it's easier because then you just click the number, see, 11, and then you scroll to the verse, and it's super fast that way, okay? okay. So then you don't have to type anything in. All right, so now um, I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew 11, 28, 30. You have that on, right, Liddy? Yeah. Um, I don't know how charged it is. I don't know if it's... Okay, put your boom down. No, it's not unmuted. Oh, now you have a feedback. Walk away from me. No, nope, it's not better. She you needs hear the to buzzing? Mute her. Okay, yeah, mute it. She needs to mute. That headset is not working right. Charge, did he not charge his headset? Has it just been sitting there all day not charged? It must have just been setting. So go charge that in my room. Yep. That's okay. We'll do it. Plan B. We'll let her use mine. It's fine. When I'm using it, we'll just go back and forth. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read this anyways. So it says in Matthew 11:28 and 30, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 20, verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find the rest unto your souls. And verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, and then also in John chapter uh, 10, verse 10. Yeah, just you're going to look ahead of time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In your book, in the book that you have. So, um, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might be, or that they might have it more abundantly, having life more abundantly. So that's a really good one. Okay. Now this is, next quote is from George Q. Cannon, Journal of Discourse, volume 15, page 375. Um, Apostle George Q. Cannon testified of a happier state in this life if one lives the gospel. Quote, I will tell you a rule by which you may know the spirit of God from the spirit of evil. The spirit of God always produces joy and satisfaction of mind. When you have that spirit, you are happy. When you have another spirit, you are not happy. The spirit of doubt is the spirit of the evil one. It produces uneasiness and other feelings that interfere with happiness and peace. It is your privilege and it ought to be your rule, my brethren and sisters, to always have peace and joy in your hearts. When you wake in the morning and your spirits are disturbed, you may know there is some spirit or influence that is not right. You should never leave your bedchambers until you can get that calm, serene, and happy influence that flows from the presence of the Spirit of God. And that is the fruit of that spirit. So during the day, you are apt to to get disturbed, angry, and irritated about something. You should stop and not allow that influence to prevail or have place in your heart we of all people should be happy and joyful when the clouds seem the darkest and most threatening and as though the storm is ready to burst upon us with all its fury, we should be calm, serene, and undisturbed. For if we have the faith we profess to have, we know that God is in the storm, in the cloud, or in the, in the threatened danger and that he will not let it come upon us only as far as it is necessary for our God and for our salvation. And we should even then be calm and rejoice before God and praise him. I know some will say this is folly and enthusiasm, but notwithstanding this idea, I know that there is a power in the religion of Jesus Christ 
to sustain men even under these circumstances, and they can rejoice in them. End quote. Again, that is from George Q. Cannon, Journal of Discourse, Volume 15, page 375. The purpose of this section is to review several principles of the gospel, which bring joy and happiness into one's life regardless of his present conditions. It has been my experience that when I am not happy, I have made two mistakes. First, my understanding of the gospel principle, which was created a burden for me, was really misunderstood. Second, my application of the misunderstood principle was bringing me unrest and dissatisfaction. When I came to the understanding to understand the principle of the gospel correctly and applied it in my life as Heavenly Father directed, I began to receive the joy Brother Cannon testified of. President McKay answers the question about what is it that motivates a person to grow spiritually in David O. McKay, Treasures of Life, Deseret Book uh, Company, um, volume, or I'm sorry, just says 1962, page 363. Um, quote, no, you're not searching that up, only scripture you're searching up. And we're on page 133 in How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom today. Okay. Oh, um, hold on one moment, sorry. Okay, there. We just had to clear up some confusions really quickly. Okay, let's do President McKay's quote. Um, There is in man not an instinct, but a divinity that strives to push him onward and upward. This sense or feeling is present with every normal human being ready to perfect it. In response to which all men should be earnestly and sincerely engaged in the search for and development of spiritual peace and freedom. Spirituality is best expressed in doing, not in dreaming. Every noble impulse, every unselfish expression of love, every brave suffering for the right, every surrender of self to something higher than self, every loyalty to an ideal, every unselfish devotion to principle, every helpfulness to humanity, every act of self-control, every fine courage of the soul, undefeated by pretense or policy, but by being, doing, and living of good for the very good sake, that is spirituality. End quote. From David O. McKay, Treasures of Life, Deseret Book Company, 1962, page 363. And that is the end of chapter 10. Um, we were just doing uh, the ending of that really quickly because last time we just had so many um, things to work on. So I didn't want to compound it with more information. So uh, we are going to continue um, with chapter 11 in this reading. And it's on gospel perceptions. Gospel's perceptions. It sounds like a good chapter. Um, I'm trying to see how long of a chapter it is. Well, it's a good thing we're not doing this chapter with what you're doing tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, This is a lengthy chapter. We'll be here for a minute. (laughs) Um, Do you want want me to still do that? Because we're only at 7 o'clock right now. So, okay. It's going to be a minute. Okay. So, number one, demand. Yeah. Good idea. Demands of justice. You have decided to jump off a two-story building. 
I do not know why you have decided to jump, but it does not make any difference anyway. The consequences will be the same. You find a suitable building, climb up the stairs, and finally reach the top. You notice that is much higher than you had imagined, but there is a soft lawn below. Your thoughts are interrupted by the blowing of a whistle of the mill in the distance. It is 8 a.m., and many people have started their routine for the day. You look around to see if anyone is nearby. You notice that there is no one, and everything is clear. Next, you check to see where the various trees and bushes are located below, and you adjust your jumping position accordingly. You make certain no protrusions of the building will get in your way. Finally, you evaluate the wind to make sure it will not interfere with your journey, and conclude you are ready. After the final check, you jump. It is thrilling, a thrilling experience as you travel downward. It is, an it is exhilarating to feel the wind over your whole being, the loss of control, and the quickness of the trip. The only problem with the experience is the landing part. You land, luckily, on your feet, then your side, with your arm helping to break the fall. You then feel great pain and pass out. In the hospital, you awaken and are told by the nurse that you are really lucky. You only broke your ankles, sprained your back, tore some ligaments in your arm, and broke a few ribs. And she assures you in a few months, you should be as good as new. The results of this experience were administered under the demands of justice. That is, when one jumps from the top of a two-story building and creates trauma for his body, it usually means the following. A. He has complied with the laws to break both ankles, sprain the back, pull ligaments in the arm, and break some ribs. B, he may hurt for the rest of his life because of his, this decision to jump. C, some parts of the body may not heal completely or as good as new. D, when he kneels to pray, it could cause pain in his back and create difficulty in being relaxed while praying. E, this might affect the kind of job that he can do in the future. F, he may be limited in the fun activities he can participate in. But the painful results of this experiment do not mean the following. A, Heavenly Father does not love me and this is why I hurt so much. B, I am no good because I made a mistake. C, my hurting is the result of my unworthiness, not just from my mistake. D, God does not love me. How do I know? Because he would remove my pain if he loved me. Some have been tricked. Some people have been taught that God does not love them unless they are always, they always perform correctly or righteously. Life's experiences seem to support that teaching. When they sinned, they felt so much pain, unworthiness, and discouragement that they knew God did not love them. When they kept the commandments with all their hearts, they felt joy, happiness, peace, and other good feelings about themselves since they felt God's love for them. In fact, when they performed well, others liked them, admired them, and said good things about them. When they broke a law, they not only felt bad inside, but others tended to put them down. They knew if others really knew them deep inside, they would not really like them. Are these conclusions correct? They have been tricked. The demands of justice have nothing to do with our spiritual worth. Let us understand more clearly the purpose of the demands of justice. What is justice? Justice means that the result of our actions are based on fairness to all parties. The results are always the same regardless of who keeps or breaks the law. It is essential that we know that God is just with each of us regardless of our position in life. This 
is taught in the lectures on faith. Um, this was this next quote comes from lectures on faith pages 38 through 39. And before I read that quote, I actually was just going to say, um, also the perception of that whole experience would be different if it didn't say that the person jumped yet um, there was some kind of accident and they slipped and fell or if the wind had blown them off or something like that it would have been an entire different reaction because that would be that person's choice to do that and then that's his consequence but what about a person who did not choose to do that and they were up there performing an act of service for some other reason and then were knocked off the building or fell from um, and then they would have the same amount of pain. Um, they could have landed in the same place and had the same kind of result, but yet they didn't um, because it wasn't chose. It wasn't their choice. So that can change the perception of how you might f think God feels about you. It wasn't my choice. It's something that happened to me. And then you are feeling quite that same experiences, but. Um, yeah, it just changes the perception. Anyways, uh, I'll continue on with that quote from Lectures on Faith, pages 38 through 39. Quote, could man exercise faith in God so as to obtain eternal life unless he believed that God was no respecter of persons? He could not, because without this idea, he could not certainly know that it was his privilege so to do. I think it means to do so. I've actually seen three um, errors in this this chapter so far, and I'm trying to... Um, correct them. It is his privilege so to do. And in consequence of this doubt, his faith could not be sufficiently strong to save him. The phrase demands of justice, or that was an end of quote. The phrase demands of justice denotes that there is no impartiality. It requires that the same results occur regardless of who keeps or breaks the law. If a prophet, prophet chose not to pray, he would not receive revelation, nor would you or I, if we chose not to pray. If the prophet wanted to keep in good physical condition, he would have to exercise and live the laws of health. If one desires to have good vocabulary, it is necessary to practice and pay the price, regardless of his position in life. The demands of justice see to it that if one lives a good life, he will be rewarded. Now, DNC 130 verses 20 through 21 says, there is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. Thank you, Olivia, for looking that up and having it ready. Purpose of the demands of justice is our next heading. First, the purpose of the principle of justice is to help remove the doubts within us. So we can have complete faith in God. Joseph Smith, as reported in the Lectures on Faith, said, this, this is from the Lectures on Faith, page 43, quote, It is also necessary in order to exercise, to the exercise of faith in God unto life and salvation, that men should have the idea of the existence of the attribute justice in him. For without the idea of the existence of the attribute justice in the deity, men could not have confidence sufficient to place themselves under his guidance and direction. For they would be filled with fear and doubt. Yeah. Less, yeah. Um, 
you like cut out, like you didn't cut out, but like it sounds like you're sitting on your microphone or something. Um, oh, that's I better. Don't I don't know what happened. It just sounded like you were a million miles away for the last like one or two sentences. Okay. I just stuffed the other earpiece back in my ear, so I don't know. Maybe that made a difference. I, I could kind of hear it was like rubbing on my shirt or something, and I was like, what is that noise? So I was trying to move it so it worked. Anyway, sorry about that. Okay. Um, I'll continue mid-quote. For they would be filled with fear and doubt, lest the judge of all the earth would not do right. And thus fear and doubt existing in the mind would preclude the possibility of exercise of the exercise of faith in him for life and salvation. But when the idea of existence of the attribute justice in the deity is fairly planted in the mind, it leaves no room for doubt to get into the heart. And the mind is enabled to cast itself upon the almighty without fear and without doubt with the most unshaken confidence, believing that the judge of all the earth will do right. That's um, from the lectures on faith, page 43. Second, the demands of justice are so designed as to see that the consequences follow from what one chooses to sow. If one sows seeds of corn, he will reap corn. If he chooses to sow seeds of kindness, he receives kindness. Like attracts like. In D&C 88 verse 40, it says, Emmett, did you just unmute your mic? Oh, no. Um. Mark, you have a really good uh, feedback going on right now. Oh, you're unmuted completely. Got it. Hello? Okay, now we're muted. Okay, DNC 8840 says, For intelligence cleaveth unto intelligence. Wisdom receiveth wisdom. Truth embrace truth. Virtue loveth virtue. Light cleaveth unto light, mercy hath compassion on mercy, and claimeth her own. Justice continueth its course, and claimeth its own. Judgment goeth before the face of him who sitteth upon the throne, and governeth and executeth all things. End quote. If one chooses to walk in spiritual darkness, he will reap the consequences. If one jumps off a two-story building, he will fall to the ground with a thud. We do not need to be concerned about whether the consequences will follow the act. It will happen automatically. One doesn't have to expand any energy to have the consequence follow. The Department of Health, Heavenly Justice will see to all the details on our behalf. Third, justice is designed to break us back into the presence of, or I'm sorry, back into the presence of Heavenly Father. When one follows the path unto life, he receives blessings as administered by the laws of justice. In DNC 88, verse 34, it says, And again, verily I say unto you, that which is governed by the law is also preserved by the law and perfected and sanctified by the same. End quote from DNC 8834. And when one chooses to walk in spiritual darkness, the consequences will follow as the night follows day. There is no escape. As one understands his purpose for being on this earth, it becomes clear how the demands of justice help him to come back into the presence of God. As one walks in the straight and narrow path, he reaps joy, peace, and love. When he chooses to walk in darkness, he experiences pain, suffering, and despair. He learns which way is correct and which will bring him joy. 
If there were no pain or suffering when one turned from God, then he would not know until it was too late that he was on the wrong path and his days of probation would be wasted. When his primordial life can be remembered again, he will see his mistake, but then it will be too late. As pain is felt when one places his hand on a hot stove, which is a warning that it is not good to leave one's hand on the stove, so do the demands of justice warn us of danger when we turn our hearts from God. Penalties are not overly harsh. The penalties that are affixed to breaking the laws are designed to help us change our ways, not to destroy us. For example, if one runs a stop sign, there's a $50 fine as a penalty. That might have changed since uh, this book was written, but there's a penalty. However, this does not always teach people never to run a stop sign. This would certainly be doing it again. If God were to use penalties so severe it would violate the great law of free agency, it might prevent me from reaching the goal of becoming like God. Therefore, the penalties of justice must not put me out of the race, but simply put a greater load on my back until I learn that it's easier to run the race of life without the extra burdens, which come from the consequences of sin. Mercy can meet the demands of justice if, since we all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God, we have violated the laws of heaven and therefore must be cast out. No unclean thing can dwell in the presence of God. Since the wages of sin is death, we all have or will experience a physical and spiritual death. A spiritual death is to be cut off from the presence of God. In Alma, chapter 42, verse 7, it says, And now ye see by this that our first parents were cut off both temporally and spiritually from the presence of the Lord. And thus we see they become subjects to follow after their own will. End quote. Remember, mercy, God, cannot rob justice. On the other hand, the demands of justice cannot be so severe as to stop us from becoming like God. Therefore, a way was provided so that the demands of justice could be satisfied This plan provided that God being merciful would help us if we fulfilled certain conditions. In Alma 42, verses 12 through 16, it says, quote, And now there was no means to reclaim men from this fallen state, which man had brought upon himself because of his own disobedience. Therefore, according to justice, the plan of redemption could not be brought about only on conditions of repentance of men in this probationary state, yea, this preparatory state. For except it were for these conditions, mercy could not take effect, except it should destroy the work of justice. Now, the work of justice could not be destroyed. If so, God would cease to be God. And thus we see that all mankind were fallen, and they were in the grasp of God, which consigned them forever to be cut off from his presence. And now the plan of mercy could not be brought about except and atonement should be made. Therefore, God himself atoneth for the sins of the world to bring about the plan of mercy to appease the demands of justice that God might be a perfect just God and a merciful God also. Now, repentance could not come unto man except there was a punishment, which also was eternal as the life of the soul should be. A fixed opposite to the plan of happiness which was as eternal also as the life of the soul. 
end quote from Alva, chapter 42, verses 12 through 16. As we read the above, we can see the magnitude of the stakes involved in the contest of life. Two conditions were set. First, repentance can bring us back into the presence of God and a state of joy and happiness. Or second, if we do not repent, the demands of justice will claim all her own and punishment will be carried out. For the Lord says that a punishment should be affixed, which was eternal, also as the life of the soul. Jesus Christ can help balance the scales of justice if we qualify ourselves for this gift. In Alma chapter 42, verse 23, it says, But God ceaseth not to be God, and mercy claimeth the penitent, and mercy cometh because of the atonement, and the atonement bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead. And the resurrection of the dead bringeth back men to the presence of God, and thus they are restored into his presence to be judged according to their works, according to the law and justice. End quote from Alma 42, verse 23. We are cast out through violating a law. However, through Christ, we are brought back into the presence of God to be judged. Conclusion. We have been placed upon this earth to gain a body and see if we can qualify to come back into the presence of God. He has given us certain laws, commandments, which indicate the steps necessary to qualify for the celestial kingdom. Each law has its consequence. Through our experiences, we come to learn good from evil. Each of us can testify of many good laws and and their blessings. We also can testify of the consequence of walking in spiritual darkness. And even as we repented and sought the light, we have seen that many of these those consequences continued with us. It takes time and effort to overcome the effects of walking in spiritual darkness. All of these experiences have been for our good and growth. They were designed to help us return unto Heavenly Father and become like him. So this, that was the first part of this chapter, or this, yeah, chapter 11. That was number one, demands of justice. Um, I can continue on. Um, number two, judging yourself. Unless if you wanted to, that first one was pretty long. This one is not as long. Unless if you wanted me to separate it into subheadings. No, How I long think, did you want I to go the, for? Well, okay. It depends on what you have time for. And also, didn't Eliza and Amberly say they wanted to read something? Yeah, they don't have their friend magazine um, prepared, so they won't get to. Oh, wow. Well. Maybe next time, or not, because tomorrow's going to be ridiculous long. I know it is super long. Um, so Do you want me to continue on uh, with judging yourself? You can if you want, but if you need to go, that's fine. And I don't want to take up all your evening um, doing this, so it's your decision. Okay, Um, I'm looking at it right now. So it has eight sections in it, 11, 12, hold on. (laughs) It has 12 of these subsections in it. It is, um, right now we're on page 142, on the top of page 142. This chapter goes Uh to 169. So, So it's more than 20 pages from where we are now. Oh. No, that's too right. long. Right. Yeah. I know. 
that's what I was looking at. I'm like, this is a way long chapter. We must have just hit both of these at the same time on purpose. <laughs> the long thing. Yeah. Yep. So let's stop there. And I, I mean, all the subheadings are not as long as that first one was. The next one is only four pages long. So we'll do a few of them together, like judging yourself, guilty feelings, um, being patient with yourself. To the wives of leaders yeah. spiritually drained, like they have different people, things. And we can go over those separately. People need to, uh, you know, th- there is such a problem with depression and anxiety in the state of Utah. And part of it is that the people don't or do not, um, they don't know how to judge themselves correctly. They overjudge themselves, or they let Satan judge them and accuse them of all kinds of crap, you know. And basically, all that does is keep them from progressing. Uh, but there is another problem, and we cover this on the radio show in the fact that when you believe uh, false doctrine, the spirit will withdraw from you. So, uh, and I was talking to uh, Phil Davis about this yesterday. Uh, of course, he had to, like, shut me down, which I did not appreciate. But uh, but I'll say it to my listening audience. The Spirit will testify of truth no matter who says it. By the Holy Ghost, we can know the truth of all things. You know that scripture, Bill Davis? I mean, I don't know if you listen, yeah, but, I do like, know it. seriously. Yep. Yeah, he was like, well, this is exactly true. And then he started yapping on about... If you feel the Spirit, there's usually a message within the Spirit. And you might feel the Holy Spirit testify to you or like whatever, but there might be a message in the Holy Spirit burning confirmation that might tell you that the person you're listening to is horrible and wrong. And I'm like, what kind of crap are you talking about, you Judas goat? And, you know, God's told me to be patient with this man, and maybe he'll come around. But some of the crap that comes out of his mouth, I and it's just disgusting. Okay, so let's go over this real quick. DNC section 8, Jesus says that he speaks to your mind and to your heart, not to your mind and your mind. So when he says, well, you come to a conclusion and you say, Heavenly Father, is my conclusion correct? And then you get a yes. And then you say, is this answer from you? Yes. Oh, well, that's your mind and your mind that's speaking to you. Satan can say yes. He can say, yeah, sure, I'm Heavenly Father. Why not? You know? But he cannot mimic the, the, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you have been misled by, by emotionalism. That is not the Holy Spirit. Emotionalism, where they give you ter- tear-jerking, crappy, stupid stories, uh, and the two most recent famous ones for this are uh, Elder Thomas Monson and Elder Henry B. Eyring. Oh, my gosh. Let's cry about everything, why don't you? And let's talk about widows and sugar cookies. You know, I, I used to be like, why is he talking about this? Like, it doesn't have anything to do with anything, you know? That's emotionalism. When people manipulate you for your emotions, that is not the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians uh, 20, uh, 5, 22, and 23, is peace and joy and love and these type of feelings. 
And uh, and then there's the burning in the bosom, you know. So uh, your breasts will swell within you and whatever. But these guys want to say, oh, you can't trust any feelings ever at all. So if you get an answer from God, you, you pray to God and you say, was this from you, God? And then you get a yes, and then that means that, you know, that's not speaking to your mind and to your heart. See, they go past, they, they intentionally go past that, and they like, I don't even know. It's just, it's disgusting. Anyway, so, um, so uh, I'll say it again. This, the Holy Spirit will testify to the truth of all things. And the main job of the Holy Spirit is to testify of truth. It doesn't matter who delivers that truth to you. Benny Hinn can deliver you some kind of truth. And you might feel the spirit about that kind of truth. Okay? It's true. doesn't mean Benny Hinn's a servant of God. Um, Billy Graham or Franklin Graham can deliver a dang good message. Power and authority of God. I mean, because they speak really well, you know. And the spirit might testify to some of what they're saying. It doesn't mean that everything they're saying is true, and it doesn't mean that they were sent by God. It just means the thing they're saying is true, is true. If the Holy Spirit testifies of Gordon B. Hinckley or Russell M. Nelson or, or even Joseph Smith, it doesn't mean that they are that that is uh, that they are true. It just means the thing that they are saying is true. Even if the Spirit testifies of the words of Jesus Christ, you still have to get revelation for yourself to know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Redeemer. You can't just speculate on it. That's why there's some of one and some of another, some of Paul and some of of uh, Peter and some of Cephas and some of James and some of Joseph Smith and some of Brigham Young and some of Jesus Christ. I think it's DNC section 76 that says, it talks about that, you know, there's some of even Jesus Christ. And why is that? It's because even those who believe Jesus is the Messiah and they like everything that he says and the Spirit testifies to the truth of the words that he's saying, you still have to get revelation to know that he is the Messiah. You cannot just assume. You've got to seek these things out for yourself. So uh, when individuals, um, they, 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 and we all need to get revelation. James chapter 1, verse 5, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. Well, how does he give it to you? DNC section 8, through your mind and through your heart. Your mind through the still, small voice, and your heart by the influence of the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't even know why I started going off on this little rant. Because I was going to say something, and then it reminded me of something I said last night, and it, it got me going because Phil Davis drives me nuts sometimes. But, you know, and I was thinking about it. I Okay, I know I'm going off on a rant, but... Um, and I know some of his listeners listen to me. What would it be like if Jesus is sitting around the dinner table with his disciples and they start telling him 
what the truth is. Many times, I have been given what I am saying from God. And I am his witness. And I've got all of these elders who know way too much to be taught. Same, Joseph Smith said the same thing. You know, these great big old elders, they know too much to be taught. You know, and I'm telling them what, what the truth is. And they correct me. And it's just like, if you don't, you can speculate all you want. But if you start talking about things and you, you start being like forceful and you've got like your power and authority because you know how to speak eloquently, mean that what you're saying is true. Just because you speculate on some things and you assume some other things doesn't mean you have it down and you know what you're talking about. Only when you get direct revelation and confirmation of the Holy Spirit can you know what the truth is. And these these individuals, they they will say that um, that you know, well, you should come to a conclusion, and then you should pray about that conclusion, and then you should. Um, you get your answer. The answer is yes, or the answer is no. You say, "Does this come from you, God?" And then, and then your answer still comes through your mind. Anyway, um, Kim, can you take over for a minute? I'm going to uh, I'm going to pull uh, area code seven three four into the call screening room and see if they have anything they wanted to say. Um, I'm not going to bring them on the air, but Kim, go ahead and take over for just a minute, okay? Okay. Hello? Okay. All right. Hello? Here we go. Yeah, you can hear me, right? Okay. Oh, thanks, Emmett. Emmett was confirming that he could hear me. Um, I could go on and read the next section really quick. I don't have a lot to add or say. Um, I was just thinking about um, the demands of justice, what we were talking about. Um, because, thank you, Amberly. Sorry, distracted from a, my seven-year-old. Um, because when you think about it, uh, when I was first starting to read and talk about um, the demands of justice and how justice is absolute, um, when you know, if this, then that. Um, it's like proof of um, math. Um, it's absolute. It always means the same thing over and over again. Um, there are so many things that come to mind. Um, just with what about the miracles that happen? Um, so sometimes people do things that have an absolute, um, you know, conclusion or um, consequence, I guess, to action. Um, and we know and we see that. But then what about miracles? What then are miracles? What do we say about them? Oh, sorry. Is that um, God's mercy? Is that God's love? I feel like a lot of times um, when we have those types of miracles, when things happen um, that are unexplainable, then we do feel as if it is from God's love and that's what we attain it to because all things good of good report are of him 
and all things that are not, you know, are not. And that's how we equate things. So um, just like when you make choices, you know, for example, to jump off a building, um, then there are consequences and ramifications. Um, what then happens if somebody who jumps from the same foot um, dies? They don't live. Um, that was their consequence. But others who do jump, then they have, you know, not as um, life-altering results, I suppose. Um, these are questions that I think about often, um, especially since the passing of our daughter. Why did she not live? Um, what, whose fault was that? Where did that come from? And I feel like um, a lot of times we equate it to probably something that we did wrong, something that should have done better. Who did something wrong? Somebody did something wrong. It was somebody's fault. It had to have been. Because if justice is absolute and things happen for a certain reason because um, consequences uh, to actions are uh, when it comes to justice and the laws of the universe, um, and God is no respecter of persons, then the consequences then should be the same. Um, so these are questions I cannot answer. I don't know. I do understand that it does create questions. It's something that I think about often. Um, maybe we'll have to read the whole entire chapter. I think part of that goes into the next. Um, subheading which is number two and it says judging yourself um, in first Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 through 5 it says but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or if man's judgment or of man's judgment yea, I judge not mine own self for I know nothing by myself yet I am not here by justified but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time unto the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. Again, that is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Apostle Paul suggested that we refrain from judging ourselves until the Savior comes. If we judge ourselves unrighteously, we do it by man's judgment. If we judge righteously, we must do it with the Spirit of God. In D&C, chapter 11, verse 12, it says, And now verily, verily, I say unto thee, put your trust in that Spirit, which leadeth to do good, yea, to do justly, to walk humbly, to judge righteously, and this is my spirit. That is, end quote, from DNC, chapter 11, verse 12. To judge is all right, as long as it is done righteously. I guess that means even ourselves, to judge our own, our own actions, as long as it's done righteously. Now, uh, Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, states, Quote, now these are the words which Jesus taught his disciples that they should say unto the people, judge not unrighteously, that ye be not judged, but judge righteous judgment. End quote from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. Neil A. Maxwell cautions us 
in conference report, October 1976, page 14, quote, some of us who would not chastise a neighbor for his frailties have a field day with our own. Some of us stand before no more harsh a judgment than ourselves, a judge who stubbornly refuses to admit much happy evidence and who cares nothing for due process. Fortunately, the Lord loves us more than we love ourselves. End quote. That's from Neil A. Maxwell, Conference Report, October 1976, page 14. We should rely on God's judgment of how we are doing and not on our own judgment or man's judgment. How do we know if we are clean and pure before him? By feeling the presence of the Holy Ghost, one cannot be unclean and have the companionship of the Holy Ghost. We remove ourselves from the influence of Satan by relying on the Holy Ghost to judge us. Rather than relying on others or even ourselves by allowing heaven to indicate our standing and worthiness, we remove ourselves from the lasting effects of the opinions of others. This helps us to learn to love others unconditionally, making us more godlike in our relationships with other people. What does it mean to judge? It means to reach an opinion or conclusion about someone or something. To condemn yourself or another is not accurate unless you are doing it with the companionship of the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of Christ. Brigham Young suggested in Journal of Discourse, I'm sorry, in Discourse of Brigham Young, pages 277 to 278, quote, Think of this, brethren and sisters, write it down, that you may refresh your memories with it. Carry it with you and look at it often. If I judge my brethren and sisters, unless I judge them by the revelation of Jesus Christ, I have not the spirit of Christ. If I had, I should judge no man. And it says, read Moroni, chapter 7, verse 15 through 19. So that is what I am going to do. (laughs) Moroni, chapter 7, verse 15 through 19 says, For behold, my my brother... Okay, hold on. (laughs) For behold, my brethren... It is given unto you to judge that ye may know good from evil. And the way to judge is as plain that ye may know with a perfect knowledge as the daylight is from the dark night. For behold, the spirit of Christ is given to every man that he may know good from evil. Wherefore, I show unto you the way to judge for everything which envieth, I'm sorry, inviteth to do good and to persuade to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Wherefore, ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of God. But whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do evil and believe not in Christ and deny him and serve not God, then ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of the devil. For after this manner doth the devil work, for he persuadeth no man to do good. No, not one. Neither do his angels, neither do they who subject themselves unto him. And verse 18, And now, my brethren, seeing that ye know the light by which ye may judge, which light is the light of Christ, see that ye do not judge wrongfully. For with that same judgment which ye judge, ye shall also be judged. And for verse 19, Wherefore, I beseech of you, brethren, that ye should search diligently in the light of Christ, that ye may know good from evil. And if ye will lay hold upon every good thing, 
and condemn it not, ye certainly will be a child of Christ. And continuing on with the reading, what is the purpose of judging? We need to judge good from evil. And that is what I just read in Moroni 7, verses 15 through 18. We need to judge right, righteously, Alma 41:14. We need to make choices in 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 27, and to act, DNC 93, verse 30. How about when we use the laws of God to measure our progress? How about when we use the law to determine whether we are a good person or not, or whether our brother is living righteously? Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgeth another? That's James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. When one judges another, what is he judging? The other person's spiritual worth, his performance, his worthiness for gifts? Someone makes only 40% of his home teaching visits consistently. If we say John does a poor job in home teaching, are we correct? Is John still worthy of a temple recommend? Is he still a good person? Yes, we can say that his performance is poor in home teaching, but this judgment does not affect my feeling that John is a good person. Number seven, we have been counseled to be ready to meet God through death at any given moment. Does having this sense of readiness entail any judging on our part? By what measure do you measure this judgment, perfection, or progression? How can you tell you are progressing on schedule? Number eight, how do we feel when someone else judges us unrighteously? Rotten. Why do we use to choose to feel that way about ourselves? There's only one person qualified to judge my progression, and that is Christ. Why would someone else want to judge me? So they can feel better? Be patient with self. Elder Marvin J. Ashton counsels us. In Marvin J. Ashton's Speeches of the Year, 1972-73, pages 104, it says, quote, May I ask you to think with me for a few moments about patient with self. Have more patience with yourself, more self-understanding. I would plead that we understand it is not our role to be self-condemning. I like to think when we are taught, judge not that ye be not judged that it had direct reference to us and our relationship with ourselves. We should not judge ourselves. We should teach ourselves patience, patience to believe in ourselves, patience to motivate ourselves, and patience to believe that God and I can do it. End quote. That is from Marvin J. Ashton's Speeches of the Year, 1972 to 73, page 104. And that is the end of that um, number two in this chapter 11 in How to Qualify for Celestial Kingdom today. Talking about I've gospel perception. I've been sitting up here for 40 minutes 
in line at the mine waiting wow. and only moved 50 feet or maybe 100 feet, yeah. I guess. It's going to be one of those yeah. nights. Yep, and that was uh, my friend Dave. Uh, I think he said he's from Ohio, but I thought he was from Salt Lake. I can't remember. I I think he's from Salt Lake. Anyway, but he didn't want to come on the air live, but he was talking about preexistence, and he was... Awesome. Uh, oh, by the way, is the wind bothering the microphone at all? Um, I can only hear a little bit, but it's not really bothering the audio. I can hear you just fine. Okay, I'm like standing outside of my truck because I'm like, oh, I don't want to sit in the truck if I can just be standing here. Anyway, so... Um, he was, like, asking if, you know, like, he was talking about, like, he was born in 1948, I think he said. And he said, my preexistence ended the year I was born. <laughs> I was kind of, thought that was funny. But um, but uh, I was talking about, like, well, like, um, when Elizabeth was pregnant with John and Mary was pregnant with Jesus, and Mary went to see Elizabeth, John left within the womb of Mary when Jesus Christ was near him. And, you know, that spirit was in there in the womb. And we, I was just talking to him. I said, I don't know if the spirits go in and out or when they come in or if it's like when the, the flash of light happens at conception. Because a lot of people don't know this. When the sperm enters the egg, there is a visible flash of light that they can they, they can see, and that's how they can tell when an egg has been fertilized. If they're doing in vitro fertilization, they're looking for that. You know, and I, I believe that that flash of light is the spirit entering the physical reality when the sperm enters into the egg. It unlocks that key and the spirit goes right in, you know. And I don't know if they're in there the whole time or not, but like... I was just joking around, you know, his his preexistence ended when that flash of light happened. And I didn't talk about the flash of light, but like, you know, we don't know exactly when, it, when the spirit goes in the womb, but we do know that John left within the womb of Elizabeth when Mary and, uh, came and, and Jesus was in her womb. Um, and then I said another thing, too, that I um, – that he had never thought of um, this this earth when the millennial phase begins and then at the end there will be uh, this earth will become a great sea of glass a Urim and Thummim and a new heaven and a new earth will be created so this earth is the pre-existence for the earth that has not yet been organized and uh, he oh I never thought of that before but I don't know. I think it's cool, especially when you um, you take into account the the doctrine of multiple mortal probations as taught by Joseph Smith in the um, in the lecture at the Grove, which was given. I think it was in June of forty four, uh, right before his death, right before the death of Joseph Smith. He talked about that, and he wasn't able to finish the sermon because um, it started raining. So, anyway, I just I thought it was all interesting, fun stuff to talk about, and I really enjoy talking about all these things. So I'm glad he called in, even if he uh, didn't want to be on the air live for uh, 
for covering for me for a minute. No problem. Only it is kind of a problem, but it's not a problem. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know what else to say. And I've been yawning all day long. I've been tired. And so right now I'm like, okay, I did it. I made it through the day, right? And then when anything else pops up, I'm like, okay, okay, just one more thing. <laughs> and so when you did that, I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, so, um, there is one other thing that I need to go and do um, really quickly. So to make your day swim, going swimmingly tomorrow. Um, so if you don't mind, I will be done with the reading. <laughs> and oh, all of the fine. things. There's only... Sorry, there's a lot of radio chatter here at the mine. Uh, we only had 14 minutes left on the live streaming portion of the program anyway. So, um, okay. Yeah. So we'll be done with it for today. Tomorrow, um, the reading portion of the program goes from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. And then you'll be reading uh, the review of the preexistence in scripture and also um, a lot of Orson Pratt talking about, and he wrote a lot about the pre-existence. So, anyway, um, I, I guess, uh, does Emmett have the studio up? Can he? Uh, um, he actually, did. Do, do you still have here. the studio? Okay, you could do it. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it. All right, well, we'll be back on tomorrow with another episode of Science Redemption Radio Network. And... Uh, that's uh, everybody have a good night. Thank you uh, for calling and thank you for reading, Kim. And thank you, Olivia, for reading the scriptures. And thank you, Emma, for making dinner. And I'll call you My in pleasure. just a minute. And for everybody else, I will see you tomorrow. Take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.